Lynn Fraser is going to help your finances get into shape. Financial Fitness with Lynn Fraser on Family Radio CHRI. Good morning and welcome to the Financial Fitness Show with Lynn Fraser. This morning, uh, like spring has sprung. I'm really thrilled that, that the cold weather has kind of gone away. It's going to stay away now. I'm believing that in Jesus' name. And, uh, and now we can, uh, we can start to breathe and live and get outside again. So it's awesome. And, and today, um, my guest, I have been waiting for this gentleman to be available to come on this show for some time. My guest is down uh, south where it's a little bit warmer. And today, uh, we're, Craig Hill is joining us today of Foundation, Family Foundations International. Welcome, Craig. I'm so excited you're here. Great to be with you, Lynn. Good to talk with you again and talk to all the folks up in Ottawa. Uh, Craig, you have been in Ottawa before. When was the last time you were here? You know, I'm trying to remember that. I think it was probably around the end of 2013. So I think it's been uh, like a year and a half, something like that. But I really enjoyed my time in Ottawa. Awesome. Well, you know... um I don't remember how many years ago it was, but uh, probably five or six years ago, someone uh, gave me a CD series, uh, your CD series on God's principles of finance. And I got to tell you, I have, I listened to that series again and again and again. There was so much in it that was in alignment with what I already believed, but it also introduced some concepts that I hadn't heard anywhere else. And Craig, it it's rich. I mean, it, it's a rich, powerful teaching, and I'm grateful for it. So, um, and in fact, many of the listeners would have heard a number of your principles. Uh, well, we know they're God's principles, but uh, in the way that you talked about them, uh, they've heard them many times on this show. So I'm grateful you're here. Right. Well, I'm glad, Lynn. It's wonderful that uh, God has given us technology in these days to be able to multiply things to get get word out on CD and DVD and and uh, television and all, radio, even like we are right now, so that we can reach lots of people, because I believe God just has such a heart for people. He loves people so much, and uh, it's wonderful to uh, see people actually grab hold of financial biblical principles, get free, and come into a place where they're using money to accomplish kingdom purpose instead of being slaves to money all their life. Amen to that. We are certainly in agreement on that. So, you know, Craig, there's, um, there were some foundational teachings that I heard in that series that um, really have impacted in how I teach and, and what I speak on here. So um, let's talk about some of those things. You know, one of the, one of the first things, uh, the first analogies he uses is the story about the three rivers. So I'm, this is your this is your floor, so I'm just going to ask the, ask you to share how that principle works. Sure. Uh, it was uh, actually many years ago when I was in Zimbabwe in Africa, and I was speaking to a group there, and, and uh, God just gave me a little picture uh, that I could see this huge, vast snowfield that had just virtually unlimited amounts of water. And uh, that was uh, picturing God's infinite resources that He has available And I saw flowing out of that snowfield three different rivers and three different families that lived along each river. And each family had an entirely different perspective and understanding of water and the availability of water. So along the first river lived a family, and uh, their experience of water was that there just never seems to be enough water. No matter what they did, 
They were always short of water. Uh, there just wasn't enough to even meet their needs, and uh, they were fearful that uh, they were going to perish for lack of water. Hmm. So uh, the consequence of that was this family built a dam in the river and collected every drop of water that came down the river to, to try to preserve as much as they possibly could so that they would somehow have enough water to survive and to be okay. And uh, no water went down that river past their house. Any water that came down that river, of course, accumulated in front of the dam that they built in the river and, and stopped there. So it wasn't possible to get any water downstream from this first family's house that lived on the first river. And then along the second river was another family that had a totally different perception of water. Their perception was there tends to be about enough water for you, but never more than enough. And uh, so they, they, too, felt like... Uh, there's a shortage of water. There just is barely enough water, and you have to be very, very careful with water and, again, pretty much store water and, uh, and, and use the water that comes down the river. And so what this family did, they didn't have so much fear that uh, they built a dam and stopped the flow of water, but uh, what they did is just used all the water that came down the river, and virtually no water flowed past their house. Any water that came down the river... They used it for uh, and consumed it for their purposes. Now, now, the interesting thing I was thinking about is uh, what would happen if you increased the flow of water in either of these two rivers? Let's say you doubled the flow or the amount of water coming down the first river. What would happen? Well, all that would happen is it would accumulate a bigger lake in front of that house because mm -hmm. the dam stops all the water from going anywhere else. And in the second river, if you, accumulate, if you uh, delivered more water from the snowfield down that river, that family would just find new ways to use that water. So if you put a little more water down uh, uh, the river, the family on the second river would uh, put in a, a lawn, uh, a large lawn, and they'd uh, put sprinklers all over the lawn. I think and I've seen that more place. Water, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. If you put more water down the river, then they... Uh, then they begin to put in fountains and water features on their property. And if you put in more water, they'll build a swimming pool for their kids. And if more water flows down the river, they'll build an entire water park for their kids. Yeah. And uh, their thinking is the purpose of water is for me to consume it. And uh, so any water you put down that river is going to be consumed by that family. And uh, I, I began thinking again, that really would describe the vast majority of families in uh, North America uh, and, and how most of us, even as Christian believers, live, thinking that the purpose of, of money is for me to use it, for me to consume it, and there really is barely enough or not enough. But mm. uh, then the picture that I had was a third river, and uh, this was an exciting river. This was uh, a river where the family that lived along that river had a totally different perception of water in their mind. And their perception was there is so much water in the snowfield, you could just never use all the water that's coming down the river. And so that family had asked the question that neither family on the first or, or second river had asked. And that question was, how much is enough for our consumption? And they had actually gone through a process to determine what, what should our consumption of water be. And they had determined what that amount was and they voluntarily limited their consumption to just that amount that they had determined uh, that their family needed. And they allowed the rest of the water to flow on down the river. 
And what happened is as more and more water kept flowing down the river, uh, they didn't increase their consumption like the people on the second river. They had just determined what their consumption should be, and the vast majority of the water continued to flow down the river. And then this family realized on the third river, you know, there are other families and other villages that don't live near a river. And uh, they got a vision. We could build a canal and dig a channel, actually, from our river over to this other village a ways away and uh, and provide water for them. And so they had built several canals uh, connecting villages that didn't live near a river to their river and diverted water over to those other villages. And uh, they had a vision in the next year to dig several new canals to uh, new villages and towns that, again, didn't live near a river and divert water over there. And uh, so I was asking the question then, if, if any one of us were the person up in the snowfield that got to choose how much water goes down these rivers, uh, which river would you put the vast majority of water down? And, of course, I think all of us would answer, well, obviously the third river, because that's where it would do the most good. Mm-hmm. And uh, how much water would you put down the first river? And my answer was, well, probably just enough to meet the needs of that family, because I love that family. I want them to be okay, so I'll put enough water down to meet their needs. But I don't need for them to accumulate a great big, huge lake in front of their house. And of the second family, the same. I would just put enough water down that river to meet their needs, but they don't need to keep expanding and expanding and expanding their, their consumption of water. And I would put the vast majority of water down through the third river because that family knows how to manage water as an administrator and to direct a lot of water out to accomplish a lot of purposes uh, that, uh, that would benefit other people and uh, in the analogy would benefit the kingdom of God. And uh, then I was asking people, so really, and, and I'd ask this question to listeners today, in reality, if you were honest, which, which river do you actually live on? And I think most people, if they were honest, would have to say, well, I actually do live on the first river or on the second river. The question would be, how on earth do I get to the third river? Because I think most people would say, I want to live on the third river. I just don't know how mm-hmm. to get there. And uh, I, I wrote a little book a couple of years ago called uh, Five Wealth Secrets 96% of Us Don't Know. And I found that these five principles that I identified in that book are really the very principles that people who naturally live on the Third River embrace. And, and I found a lot of people that are living on the Third River in reality that are experiencing an abundant uh, cash flow and abundance of resources are directing it into uh, many places that are beneficial. A lot of those people don't actually consciously realize they're following those principles. For some of them, they were taught by their family. They, they, it, it was generational blessing that came to them, and they learned how to uh, function in these principles. But uh, there are... There are just a couple of those principles that are absolutely critical, absolutely key principles for uh, people to understand. And uh, maybe we can, uh, I don't know where you want to go exactly, Lynn, but we could talk about one or two of those key principles that uh, we find. And by the way, I'll just mention also, uh, if you want to get a hold of that book, uh, you can get it on our website, familyfoundations.com, or you can download it from uh, Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Uh, those kind of sites as well. So that's familyfoundationsplural.com. Correct. Right? Awesome. Correct. Uh-huh. 
For I know that uh, those five wealth secrets are some of the principles that I've been talking about on this show for some time. Um, one of my favorites is, is is the concept of sparrow faith and understanding, uh, because I think that's foundational in how we uh, manage God's money. Like, that's one of the most foundational pieces, I think. Right, right. And people listening will think, sparrow faith, what are you talking about? <laughs> what What is that? And it comes from Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 24 through 26. And Jesus gives us, in verse 26, his picture of how provision comes to us. Uh, how do we actually get the provision we need? And uh, a lot of people assume, well, I need money. But the truth is, you actually don't need money. What you actually need is provision. In order for us to live and accomplish our vision or a purpose on the earth, we all need food, we need clothing, we need transportation, uh, we need education, uh, we need uh, housing, those kinds of things, mm-hmm. shelter. Uh, those are all provision things. How do they come to us? And a lot of people think, well, I need money for all that. Actually, you don't. Uh, you see several examples in Scripture. Elijah would be one of them, where God provided very well for him and never did use money. At one point, he was uh, directed to live alongside a river, and uh, and he drank water from the river, and actually ravens brought him food and uh, uh, meat and bread, it says. And then he was directed to go to a city, and there was a woman there who was a widow, and she had very little, but God supernaturally multiplied what what she had, and that was a channel of provision for Elijah. And no money was actually ever exchanged. So... Provision doesn't have to be money, but God could use money. But the, the principle that we see in, in verse 26, especially of uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' analogy is birds. And uh, I was sort of shocked when I first read this, Lynn, because so many times what, what I had taught for years and years about finances as a pastor is that finances come through sowing and reaping that uh, the way that that I'm going to be provided for is if I give uh, money, uh, if I sow money in offerings, if I tithe, if I give money to the church, that's how I'm going to be provided for. And uh, sowing and reaping definitely is a biblical principle. We see it in uh, Mark chapter 4, and it definitely does provide, uh, pardon me, it does pertain to money and finances. It just doesn't happen to be the principle that Jesus tells us is how provision comes to us. As a matter of fact, he tells us that it's not the principle uh, for provision, that sowing and reaping is not how God provides for us. And uh, so when we read this verse, verse 26, Jesus actually said, this is my model of provision. Look at the sparrows or the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they. So Jesus tells us two things that the sparrows don't do. Number one, they don't sow or reap. And number two, they don't, they don't store. They don't gather in barns. They don't hoard. And yet, your Heavenly Father takes care of them, according to Jesus. And uh, the revelation that hit me, Lynn, was this, that, uh, uh, that our provision is not dependent on our works. Our provision is not dependent on sowing and reaping. It's not dependent on tithing. It's not depending on us even being responsible managers and good stewards. It's actually uh, something that, that Jesus said 
is given to you as a gift by the grace of God, your Father, who loves you. And uh, I, I thought of this, you know, have you ever seen an, a, a sparrow or a bird outside having an anxiety attack? <laughs> you know, running around fearful, oh, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to die, I've got to find some food, what am I going to do? And uh, you really don't see that. That that's just uh, unique to humans. Uh, people do that, but uh, the birds don't do that. And the reason is the birds are at peace. The the birds uh, in their own hearts are just uh, n- at peace, knowing my Father in heaven loves me. And uh, and I believe that's the place that that's sort of foundation of everything that has to do with finances. And the reason I say it's the foundation, if you don't get what I call sparrow faith in your heart, which is a deep, deep revelation, my Father in heaven loves me, and because of his love, he'll provide for me. If you don't have that in the depths of your heart, everything you do with money will be tainted. And what I mean by that is you will tithe to try to get God to provide for you. You will give offerings to try to get God to provide for you. You will sow and reap to try to get God to provide for you. You will work to try to get God to provide for you. And uh, all those things are good and right things to do, but not for that reason, not for that motive. If your heart comes to peace, my Father loves me, he will provide for me, then we can do all those things in freedom to accomplish kingdom purpose, but not out of anxiety, not out of fear, that I'm not going to be taken care of. Certainly what's in our heart is what what Jesus was most interested in, right? When he, you know, uh, he talked often about uh, the condition of our heart. And so having our heart in the right place is, uh, it's key to to living a life of abundance. Well, that's exactly right. And so the first thing that people on the Third River understand and know is there is such a huge amount of water up there in the snowfield that that is absolutely no problem. There is going to be plenty of water coming to me. And, uh, and another analogy I use a lot of times is that of a little child. Uh, maybe some of the listeners uh, today would have children or grandchildren four or five years old. I just ask you to think about that four or five-year-old child that's your, your son or daughter or grandchild, perhaps. How much time... Do they lie awake at night worry, worrying about food and clothing and shelter? And uh, everybody laughs, you know, because the answer is none. Mm-hmm. Little children don't worry about that. Well, why is that that the little children don't worry about it? And the answer is one reason and one reason only. Dad, Mom, they love me. I know I'm going to be taken care of. I don't know where food comes from. I don't know where clothes come from. I'm told the store, but I have no idea how it gets to the store. I don't know how mom and dad get it. I really don't care. All I know is I'm provided for every day because daddy, mommy, love me. That's what Jesus is talking about here. If I get that in my heart, then I'm free to begin to use money to accomplish kingdom purpose instead of accumulating money, putting dams in the river, using all the money, being fearful I'm not going to have enough. And uh, I just think of... uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. I love this scripture in the Amplified. It says this. I'm going to read it from the Amplified. Let your character or moral disposition be free from the love of money, including greed, avarice, lust, and craving for earthly possessions, and be satisfied with your present circumstance with what you have. For he, that is God himself, has said, I will not 
in any way fail you nor give you up nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not in any degree leave you helpless nor forsake you nor let you down nor relax my hold on you, assuredly not. So we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to me? And boy, if you can get that in your heart, it just frees you then to begin to use money to accomplish God's kingdom purpose, which I believe that's really the, the goal of, of uh, what money is for. Money is not an end in and of itself to be pursued. Money is just a tool we have in our hands to accomplish a purpose, to accomplish something that, uh, a vision that God gives us. And uh, the key to, to getting that is sparrow faith, understanding sparrow faith. So, so Craig, and, uh, if that's not our reality, and in many cases it's not, we're, we're living on one of the other rivers or, or we're, we're just working so hard. We're just working hard yeah. and, and spinning our wheels and on a treadmill and feel like we're getting nowhere because that hasn't been our reality. We haven't, we haven't personally seen God as a provider or um, having an abundance for us. How do we move into that place from where we are now? You know, that's a great question. One of the things I've found, Lynn, is that the biggest problem many, many Christians have regarding money is not that they don't know what to do. The biggest problem is they have an inability to do what they know. And uh, I found many married couples can't even complete a discussion about money because it's such an emotionally volatile issue. They hurt each other. Uh, they get angry. They can't even create a budget together because of the hurt. And uh, one of the tools that God gave us to help people with that is a seminar that we're doing all over North America, and it's called Financial Foundations. And we actually have one coming up May 1st and 2nd in Ottawa. It will be conducted by Larry Griffith and a team that we've uh, trained in Ottawa. And uh, you could get information on that uh, on the Internet uh, by emailing rev, R-E-V, lag, L-A-G, at bell.net. And, uh, and awesome. again... What you said earlier, Lynn, I think is key, and that is getting your own heart dealt with, allowing God to remove lies from the depths of the heart and establish truth, identifying why is it that people around me seem to prosper and I don't? Why is it that I seem to self-sabotage in my own finances? And that is true for many, many people. And uh, that's really the purpose of that Financial Foundation Seminar. Uh, another tool that we have available for people, we're going to be holding a conference in June in Denver, June 4th through 7th, called Jubilee, Preparing for the 7th Shemitah and Beyond. And uh, our goal there is to help people prepare uh, for financial shaking that potentially may be coming. And, uh, and listeners could get information on that, again, on our website, which is familyfoundations.com. But uh, there's, there's one other thing that occurs to me, Lynn, that I've found is just a key principle that people on the third river seem to do and know that uh, people on the first and second river don't. And, and that would be this. The people on the third river never put all their money in one jar and spend first. Most people do exactly that. What most people do is they take their entire paycheck or their entire amount of money that they get they just put it in one account, and the first thing they do is pay all the bills. They spend first. And then 
after spending, they try to save, give, invest, and there's nothing left to save, give, or invest, unfortunately, if you do it that way. What people on the Third River have learned to do, as I alluded to earlier, they don't put all their money in one jar. I call them jars because when we were, when uh, we had little children, our, our two children are adults uh, grown now with their own families, but when they were little kids and we were teaching them to manage money, we actually used physical jars. And we had five physical jars and had them divide percentages of their money into those five jars. And uh, what we found is that uh, when, when people will divide their money and allocate them into very specific jars, then something begins to change. It shifts something in the spirit, first of all. So people who live on the Third River, here's what they do. They voluntarily limit the amount of money that they're going to spend, and they put a, a percentage they have decided in advance in a jar, so to speak, for tithing. And the tithe would be a 10%. We know that from the Bible. 10% would be a great uh, number or uh, percentage of money to put in the in a tithe jar, mm-hmm. they put another percentage in an offering jar so that they always have something to give in offerings. They put another amount of money in a savings jar and perhaps another amount of money in an investment jar. So what people on the Third River do is they tithe, give, save, and invest specific percentages first, and then they spend what's left. That's awesome. And uh, that's just an amazing, very simple thing anybody could do today those um that basic system is uh has worked again and again and again and it is so simple to apply you know it's an easy thing to put in place it's an easy thing not to do but it's also easy to do and i know that you're going to be talking more about that at the uh, family foundations uh financial foundations seminar on may 1st and 2nd and uh And next week on our show, we're going to be talking about the seven-year financial cycles that uh, the Shemika year is coming. And so you're uh, you're going to want to listen in next week. Our time is up today. It's gone by so quickly. And uh, I want to close in prayer. But make sure that you you listen in next week and you can check out familyfoundations.com and find out all kinds of information about books and seminars that are coming up. So let's just take a minute, if we could, Craig, now, and and close in prayer. And uh, so, Father, we thank you that you are at work. And Lord, even today, there are are those that are listening who have been touched by the message today. And so, Lord, would you draw them closer to you? Would you give them your wisdom? Would you give them the courage, the strength, and the wisdom to take the steps that you're calling them to take, to run closer to you and to run into obedience of uh, what you're calling them to do according to your word and your plans, because it all belongs to you. And we just thank you, Lord, uh, for being faithful and taking care of us so well. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Wow, Craig, our time has flown by. So um, don't forget, next week we're going to be talking about the seven-year financial cycles. You won't want to miss that with Craig Hill. Craig, thanks so much for being on the show with us today, and uh, we'll look forward to spending time again with you next week. 
Thank you, Lynn. I'm so excited. If people begin to do this, I believe they'll see an abundant flow of resources coming through their hands to accomplish kingdom purpose. So I'm excited also about talking about the seven-year cycles called the Shemitah next week. Awesome. So it's time to go. So have an amazing day filled with hope for today and freedom for tomorrow. God bless. God bless. 